Sure. So I got involved in ministry at 19. And at that time, it was leading worship, playing guitar, uh, which then pushed into being over some children's ministry stuff, which then led into being over some fifth grade stuff, which then led into being a youth pastor, which then led into traveling as a professional musician and being a, a worship pastor. And um, from there, uh, the, the, it just kind of snowballed. So in the church. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school? anything about how to manage money. I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to the Money Talkers. I, uh, if you think you're here in double today, it's because I've got a special guest. Uh, I've got Cody Jefferson joining Cody Laughlin. So I'm doubly excited about the two Cody's here today. Uh, but listen, I'm really excited to talk to Cody about this because uh, he's a coach. Uh, he's a mentor behind leaders, uh, entrepreneurs, organizations that are focused on changing the world. Basically, um, you know, in a nutshell, he's helping people have an impact out there. Um, but he's got a very, very unique story to pass down, uh, background we're going to dive into a little bit. But first, uh, Cody, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, man, it's an honor. I love it. <laughs> cool. Um, well, I think where I want to start, and you probably get this question quite a bit, but I want to start with um, your background because you had a faith-based background as a, as a um, uh, pastor, correct? I did. Yeah. yeah. So 13 how, years. Yeah. So what were you doing uh, as a pastor and how did that lead you into being uh, a coach? Sure. So I got involved in ministry at 19. And at that time, it was leading worship, playing guitar, uh, which then pushed into being over some children's ministry stuff, which then led into being over some fifth grade stuff, which then led into being a youth pastor, which then led into traveling as a professional musician and being a, a worship pastor. And um, from there, uh, the, the, it just kind of snowballed. So in the church, you wear as many hats as you're able to wear. And so it was everything from community pastor, uh, liturgical development, small groups, house churches, uh, traveling, speaking on how to lead more effectively, how to bridge the gap between older and younger generations, um, youth conferences, anything and everything you can think of within the realm of church, even cleaning out toilets. That's what I did, uh, <laughs> which I think is so it's, it's fairly common in the church world that uh, you become aware of as many hats as you're able to. So, I mean, again, like graphic design, video production, uh, anything and everything in between. It was a really beautiful season, which um, came to an end in 2000 and early of 2017, mm. which is when I transitioned into into coaching full time. 
um, and have been on that journey ever since. So you mentioned one part in there where you're bridging the gap between older and younger generations. And I think that that's a big concept for people listening to Money Talkers, because a lot of this is building relationships and, and trying to, trying to you know, shrink the gap so that our younger generation feels comfortable coming to us, yeah. you know, as an older generation, because we want nothing but to, to give our advice, you know, on the, even if it's a don't do this that I did thing, you know, um, how do you, I mean, how, how, how did you make that connection? Yeah, uh, that's a really great question. By, and I think by asking good questions and not making assumptions, mm. right? So I, I think on both sides, there, there's an idea of how things should work and things should operate, right? With, with kids, there is a, a genuine curiosity, but there's also this experience of coming into an idea of what autonomy and personal ownership looks like. Um, and so there are some very haphazard um, assumptions about what that looks like, right? As we try to assert independence and find that for ourselves for the first time, yeah. um, whether that be with money, relationships, religion. Um, and then you have an older generation that has been there and done that. And so maybe without taking into considerations the way that culture has shifted and the ways in which um, the the landscape of those conversations have changed, push into, push into them with, again, a certain preconceived idea of how things should be and how things will always operate, which is sometimes useful and sometimes not useful. And so what I found to be most beneficial is to just ask better questions and to see where both are coming from so that we can find a common bridge that works contextually. Because depending on the demographic, depending on the socioeconomic background, depending on the education background, right? Depending on the experience that the person speaking is, has had with said circumstance, event, um, or paradigm, we're going to get very, very different conversations happening. So again, it would be, for me, it was always, uh, about facilitating a very open-ended conversation mm. that, uh, was always focused on a, a useful kind of landing pad. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's very difficult to ask a question, not wanting to receive the answer that you already are waiting for. <laughs> and sure. you can't drive the conversation because the other person can feel it. You know, right. it's, almost, it's almost like being sold by a bad salesman, right? Yeah. Like instead of actually asking a question and, and seeing what the results are, then to further the conversation, you just, asking a question, you're like, no, 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 we're going to go back my way, you know, no matter what. Yeah. And it's, it's just not a good, that's a great, that's a great, uh, takeaway. Um, I'm being able to do that. And so when you transitioned, um, well, first of all, all the hats you had to wear in the church sounded like it pretty much, uh, just trained you to be an entrepreneur as well. <laughs> Cause that's how it works. Right. <laughs> oh, 100%. Right. Like 13 years of stage experience, 13 years of walking alongside every demographic through every season of life, not to mention just the very practical, you know, skill sets of production and of, of time uh, organization and being able to lead others effectively. It, all of it played into, to what I do now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you're a family man. Um, how was that? How was that transition? Uh, I guess in the family, you know, cause I mean, you're, that's a, that's a big leap. Yeah. So 
a breath of fresh air. Right? So really? in, in, in my family has evolved since my time in ministry in 2000, in late 2015, early 2016, uh, I went through a divorce and stayed in ministry for a year past that, right? There, there was no kind of like moral failing. There was no reason for me to step out of ministry. Um, it, it, it was, uh, it was just an unfortunate, thing. you know, it's just the thing that happened. Um, and so uh, for me, the main reason that I stepped out of ministry was that through that season, um, I was still showing up and still trying to put on the face of like, everything's fine when everything wasn't fine. And through that season, I lost eight family members and friends, wow. whether it be murder, whether it be suicide, accidental overdose, freak accidents. Um, it was very traumatic, a very traumatic year. Um, baby niece, a sister, a sister-in-law, my best friend of 18 years, my mentor of 17 years, like everyone or like, it was like everyone that was closest to me was drop. They were dropping, and still showing up. All things to all people. Leading worship. Leading the men's group. Leading the youth group. Leading everyone. Just putting on the smile. Just got to pray more. Just got to have faith. God's got a plan through all of this. I mean, like I just there was no time to process trauma. There was no time for me to to process all of the loss, whether it be the identity, like my marriage or like all of the people around me, like not, I have a son, not having him all the time. Like there was just all of this that was moving and ended up, it almost killed me. So I went septic. You must've been, uh, you must've been in the eye of the storm man. just watching stuff fly around you. Like it, it was a very surreal experience and trying to keep everything together Yeah. And until I couldn't. And my yeah. body, uh, my body went septic, hormonal shutdown, thyroid scramble, adrenal shutdown, um, adrenal fatigue. And so I ended up with 106 fever unconscious for three days. And that's when I recognized I'm going to, I'm going to keep killing myself to keep trying to prove something that doesn't matter. And so when I stepped out of ministry and stepped into coaching, um, I had just started seeing my now wife, and it was a huge relief because I didn't have to play the role anymore. I didn't have to play, I didn't have to pretend like everything was okay. I didn't have to, I was able to grieve and yeah. I was able to mourn and I was able to speak out in ways that I felt I needed to speak out but couldn't when I was in ministry because there was a certain ethical responsibility that I had to the hat that I was wearing. And, uh, so it was, it was very, very useful and very freeing. Yeah. That's, um, you probably felt like you took a backpack of stones off. I would imagine, hundred percent. you know, and, and I couldn't imagine that year of putting the, putting the mask on. Right. That, that's, that, that must've been, you know, and, and, and so when you transitioned with that and you, like you said, you, you knew what, um, did, uh, did you guys, um, you know, as you go into the coaching side of it, do you feel that the faith part of it has built you to be a better coach? Like, do you bring that part to your coaching? So that's a really, really great question. So when I stepped out of the church to step into where I am now, uh, I took a pretty hard right. And uh, recognizing now there was a lot of pain and a lot of my, my exit out of ministry was a lot faster than I, I thought it was going to be, that mm -hmm. we're going to do like a six month transition and, and ended up being two days. 
Mm. And so for those listeners who maybe find themselves with feeling like the rug's kind of been pulled out from under them with their own positions and not really knowing what's next, um, that's exactly where I was. Right. So I'm, I'm, you know, we're right in the middle of the quarantine time right, right. now. And, uh, and I think that we're on the tail end of what we're about to see some pretty bad situations because the, 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 you know, the period of this, Oh, we'll, we'll just get by for a few weeks. Like we're getting to the end of this thing and it's right. about to crash. So I, I think it's very ap- appropriate to talk about that right now. Yeah. Where so, you kind of, you took that right. And it did, how'd you come out of that? Yeah. So again, like we, you find yourself with the kind of rug pulled out from under you. And, and uh, for me, like I took a fairly hard right away from the church and, and was very vocal about that. Right. That Mm. uh, after studying theology academically for 12 years and walking alongside people that I wasn't sure what was real or right anymore and um, confused a lot of people. Right. And, 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 in the midst of building what I have today was focused on all of the low income skill sets that I had built up in over 13 years of ministry. Right. So I was building websites for people. I was, so for those of you that find yourself in this situation of gosh, what, what do I do right now? Especially in terms of income, I was focused on doing anything that I could do to create sustainability for myself and for my son. Mm -hmm. I was, building websites, doing graphic design, guitar lessons, vocal lessons. I was flipping Harleys in my garage. I was cutting hair. I've been a licensed barber for 18 years. I was cutting hair out of my house. I was doing anything I could to create sustainability while focusing on putting my higher income skills out into marketplace. But now what I've kind of coming full circle back to your question, um, my faith and spirituality is definitely a part of what I do. And I have several clients and several people that follow me because they're confused because they prayed all the right prayers and they tithed and they seemingly did all the right things and life is seemingly falling apart or things that used to make sense don't make sense anymore or the faith of their parents, it doesn't hold any weight for them anymore. So what I recognize is that I just no longer have a cheap grace as, as Bonhoeffer would say. I no longer have a cheap grace to offer anyone. Uh, that, as Richard Rohr would say, I'm at a place of deep spiritual contentment where there's nothing to prove, hide, or protect. Mm. And recognizing that that faith isn't simple songs that we sing on Sundays. That faith is in the, the pain and the depth of loss and suffering and tragedy and what we make of that. And recognizing that we are not alone in our suffering and that that kind of fire is where true faith is forged right it's not in the it's not in the platitudes of a 20 something youth pastor who's never really experienced loss and trauma before coming to your hospital bedside and just praying for you because that's all we know how to do it meant well it's all well and good but that's not my faith anymore yeah my faith is one of saying i've i understand when the psalmist says i have made my bed in hell Yet, where could I run that you are not there? I have kind of tying something together that I just yeah. wrote down. But in the beginning, we said, how do you go in with, you know, 
with how do you facilitate a talk between an older generation and a younger generation? We said, oh, let's ask open-ended questions, right? Don't yeah. have a result in mind. But when you were just talking now, I'm thinking about when you mentioned you find other people who I've done all the stuff. Why is there bad, right? But are they do they have open-ended faith? Right. 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 And, is, and, is there and, is there a result I'm doing this for, or am yeah. I doing it because it's supposed to be done? <laughs> right. Am I am I treating my faith like this? cosmic lottery machine <laughs> like if i put xyz in yeah. i should be getting this back and i think the, the the fallacy of that is that's in many ways what we've taught we've taught this i this hyper charismatic ideology around faith that that god is like god is your best friend and that so long as you do the right things and say the right things that, you know, to quote Psalm 91, no harm shall, shall fall beside your tent. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there is no shadow, there is no death for you are in the valley of the shadow. Like, and what we're finding even now, right, with this pandemic is that there is loss, there yeah. is tragedy. Yeah. And when those very, simple prayers of prosperity fail you, where do you find your faith? Ooh. Can you find faith in the loss of everything? Can you, can you embody the story that you read of Job? Right? For me, like I went prodigal. And what I learned is that even in, like God is bigger than my wandering. God is bigger than my doubt. God is bigger than my frustration. And I, we're going to see in the months ahead, uh, faith being tested in a lot of ways. And the Bible stories that we were raised on and the idea of who God is and our idea and perception of what faith and abundance and prosperity is, is going to look very, very different. That part, we talked about how the freeing that must have been to move in from what you were doing before to move out. But yeah. that realization that your size of the your, your part in the size of the world is not as big as you feel like it is, right? right. And and the, that I imagine that's probably where the real kind of when that when when you get that kind of weight off of you, that's must have been ten times more than even coming out of the church and into a different coaching role, right? Absolutely. Was that the big aha moment? Yeah. Well, in, in understanding that, that my paradigm was contingent to the only life I'd ever known, right? Like the way that I viewed success and the world and platform and audience and influence was directly related to the only job I'd ever had mm. as an adult, which was to be in ministry. And so success looked a certain way. Faith looked a certain way. Spirituality looked a certain way, right? And getting out of that construct, right? I say all the time, like I had to, the, the, the pulpit was just the, the preparation for the platform that God had prepared for me, that I had to step out of the church to step into the true call on my life. And it was all preparation, absolutely. But recognizing now without, without trying, because it's not a job anymore, I'm able to influence more people. I, I, I lead 4,300 men a week. Really, and being the what we would say, you know, the best version of themselves, right? Which which we define through some metrics, um, and through some quantifiables that are that are that, that we feel are 
congruent with with what being a man is. Um, but that's a leading over fifteen thousand men and women, right? In in our various communities and groups that we that we run. That I and it's like I had to let go of what I thought success was in order for me to actually be shown what true success could be. Like everybody likes to talk about like, Oh, you got to lose your life to find it. Nobody actively walks into losing like that. That sounds all well and good. And it's really fun to sing on Sunday mornings. But if you actually knew what it meant and if you actually knew what it felt like, if you actually walk through what it is to have every shred of your identity stripped from you, and what it was to be, to, to have every shred of credibility as you made your own wandering comments to be called a heretic and to, to say that nothing that you ever did in ministry mattered, to have all of it just ripped away from you to then start over, nobody would willingly walk into that. But it is through that fire and through that refining, like losing everything, listener, if you find yourself losing everything right now, or what feels like losing everything. If you can focus on what is yours to control and let go of everything else, and if you could pivot your perception to what life could be teaching you right now and how life could be happening for you right now, and what, what could be being stripped away in the ideologies and the spiritualities and the, the worldviews and the paradigms that you've had that are no longer useful, if you, could, if you could see this as an opportunity to be taught and to grow through it, not simply go through it, my contention and my argument, my proposition to you would be that this season is actually the greatest opportunity and gift that you may have been presented with in your life. Me losing everything, everything, turned out to be the greatest gift I could have ever been given because now I can say it. I'm not just offering you a, a cheap message from a pulpit because I've read some books on it or because it sounds really good to say that everything's going to be okay when I actually don't know. I do know that everything has the potential to be okay because I've walked through this before. You know, I, uh, I'm really glad you dove into that because I lost I, well, to me, was everything, right? Yeah. Four, four companies, $700,000 in debt, IRS tax wow. liens, foreclosures, all the stuff at one time. Four companies gone, like no job, wow. just just like gone. Like everything was gone. And like, and, and, I, and the year before that, I was a millionaire at 27 years old, right? And so, I, and, and people ask like, well, you know, people give the excuses of, I can't do this. Like I didn't come from a certain background or I didn't have, I don't have enough money to, you know, to do these things. And I'm like, Dude, if you're not $700,000 in debt with no job and you are absolutely top, coming from a toxic industry where no one will even give you a job interview because you were own a mortgage company in the crisis, like, I'm like, you got opportunities. You just need to yeah. change your paradigm, you know, and you absolutely. mentioned the paradigm a couple of times and that's literally my favorite word. Yeah. That, that, that when I was, when I learned that I could change my paradigm on how I see situations, it was when my business took off. It was when my life took off and it was when basically I felt a million times more comfortable knowing that, that the world wasn't happening to me, that I could actually change the way that I saw the reaction that I was having. Right. Yeah. And, and that's Absolutely. just like lights me up to hear you talk about that because you, 
And that was kind of the part I was talking about where you said when you dislocated and you realized you weren't the biggest part of like, you know, you're, you're not the center of your world, right? You're not the center of the whole world. The world doesn't happen for you. Like, right. When you have a paradigm shift and you're able to shift those paradigms, you're in control of what you do about what happens to you. Yeah. I hope that if somebody's listening right now and they're going through these conversations that you have to have when you go through those life-changing moments, you know, that aren't fun. Like you said, no one wants to lose their life on purpose. It sucks. It's it does. Awful. But you, you know, you've lived it. And there's this, there's this autonomy that has to take place. Like we can, we can make excuses. We can blame. We can, we can shift responsibility when we can victimize ourselves, And that is a useful mechanism for, for creating insulation and security to retreat. But at the end of the day, the, the, well, the economy is failing right now. Okay, well, you can't control that. Not for everybody. But you, but you, yeah, but you can control what you do right now. You yep. can control how you wake up. You can control what that routine looks like. You can control what you're putting in your mind. You can control what you're putting in your body, right? You can, there's so much, you can control your perception of reality. You can control whether your personal economy is failing or not. I can tell you that my economy is not failing. Well, Cody, that's an arrogant statement to say. No, it's not. It's a statement of ownership. And the fact that you think that it's arrogant tells me more about your paradigm than it does my own. Right? The fact that you want to come at someone who is creating success in their lives tells me that you'd rather become a victim to your own circumstances than to rise up and say, okay, well, how do I create that for myself? It's probably going to be messy. I'm probably going to need to learn new skill sets. I might need to be very, like, I, I may need to invest in myself and in skill sets that I don't currently have, which is scary to think about. But something has to change because the idea of success and security that you had three months ago no longer exists. And like it or not, you have a forced paradigm shift. So what will you do with it? You are in control, you know, and that's the thing. And the, the, like, I, I love that you talked about your personal economy because it's easier to say victimless right? It's yeah. easier to say, well, I can't because so then I don't have to, right? Mm -hmm. And it's easier to just, you know, give yourself the excuse. But all chefs were dishwashers, right? Yeah. Like you, you, you can say, well, I can't do whatever the forum is you want to have or the other business you want to do the way you're going to create your first side hustle. You want to go from being an employee and now you're going to be an entrepreneur. Like you got to start, man. You can't mm -hmm. just wait and say, throw my hands up and say that it's a victim of the economy because you yeah. can't do anything about the economy. Like you said, it's a personal economy is what you can handle. And so you start to build those little, you know, little pieces. It's brick by brick, man. It's not, you don't get a whole, you don't get a whole, uh, you know, school at one time. It's brick by brick, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. um, when you're, when you're leading people, as you mentioned on weekly, right? What are you yeah. getting into? So we, we could talk a lot about, you know, metrics and, and get really in depth with the ways in which we track progress in a quantifiable way. Don't you threaten this the, finance guy with a good time. Right? <laughs> Numbers. 80, 80, all right. 80%, yeah. 80 at any given time of what I'm walking anyone through is mindset. Yeah. Right. I, I have the opportunity to walk alongside a lot of organizations and um, some very large corporations 
and I get asked all the time, so can you help me recession-proof my business? I, in my, because there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are guaranteeing that or a lot of coaches. And I'm like, um, I was a pastor during the last recession, which looked nothing like this recession. I didn't have to recession proof anything there. Like I, I was, I was helping people recession proof their life. Right. So I can help you with that. And I can help you, I can help you create a life that isn't, and I can help you create a mindset and a skill set, a set of skills that, aren't contingent on a thriving economy, right? Because they're based on personal autonomy and ownership. Um, and so for, for the majority of what, what I'm walking alongside people with, the, the business side, the metric side, the number side, you know, that's, that's, e that's simple, that's mm -hmm. easy. And there's no, cause there's no emotion involved with that. If something's not working, okay, we diagnose what the problem is and we create a solution in real time. Right? If numbers aren't making sense, we have to go back and we have to reevaluate some things so that the numbers make sense. Uh, but what, what I find myself walking alongside people with in more need now than ever is what do I do with my fear? What do I do with my anxiety? What do I do with feeling unfulfilled? With a with no sense of cause how do i keep um and this is a bit crass but how do i keep a bottle out of my hand and a gun away from my temple mm. you know if we know that uh, the leading cause uh, for death for men under the age of 35 is suicide 76 percent of all suicides are men um since stepping out of ministry I've, I've lost five pastor friends to suicide. Wow. So in leading, walking alongside these men, it is, uh, we're having conversations of, I've been 11 years sober, but I'm thinking about picking up a bottle because I, 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 I can't support my family right now. And I was making half a million dollars and it's all gone. Right. And those deeper conversations of how we lead ourselves so that we can lead our family through unstable times. Um, we're, we're in a season right now. And I believe that the, the landscape is, is forever changed. Like we, we, there's, there's no going back to the way things were in some idealized state. Like it, it's, it's things have shifted. Yeah. And the unfortunate part of this shift is it has brought a light to the reality that men have not been prepared, raised to understand or to, uh, to navigate this level of, um, of problem and this level of loss and uh, this level of, of shift and of uncertainty. And so majority of what I walk alongside these guys with is daily habits, what we, we can control, pushing into learning new skill sets that are viable in a marketplace today, how to care for yourself and care for your family, how to lead your home well, even in the midst of uncertainty. Mm. And I bet there's a big need for that right now. More than ever. <laughs> you know, 
that's a that's a powerful mission man that's a uh that's putting a stamp on on bringing you know you're asking real questions and you're talking about real subjects you know yeah. uh, you kind of mentioned earlier the you know i'm reason, reading out of the pamphlet at the bedside right type person or say hey you know what man like how do i you know you're, you're asking you're talking about subjects that are big real they're real, real. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're not the Candyland front. Yeah. They're not the Candyland front one where it's like, Oh, no. you know, just go pray and sing your songs and do those things Like you're having, you're having some, you know, they're some, real, some real honest conversations. Though. Yeah. Yeah. That's a and real honest strategy on how to move forward. Yeah. Right. I imagine that your, 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 uh, base, um, you know, your mess becomes your message, right? Sure. And so I imagine that having that credibility is, uh, is probably one of your strengths, you know, yeah. that, that year. And that's what I think I want to just kind of remind people right now that like, this might be you building your strengths, right? If you're going through this right now and you're having a hard time, like yeah. take it from, <laughs> take it from either one of us. Uh, it, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. I'll be honest with you right. on my side because I needed it and yeah. it made me a whole different person. Yeah. And for the better, I, I hope, you know, I'm, and, and I don't know where I would have ended up if it hadn't happened to me. So, uh, you know, and it's slow. It's, it's, it's not where you're going to say, oh, okay, well, Thursday, I'm going to be good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you got to start and you got to start. Yeah. Uh, like you said, it's, it's little things, yeah, habits and the way you look at things. And, and what I hope for this whole pandemic thing, I see more parents spending time with their kids, like on their front yards. Absolutely. And, you know, I see them out walking. Like I've been running. Uh, I took the last four days. I took my son jogging. We jog like a mile. He's six years old. And we, we did yeah. a mile and a half yesterday and it's awesome. Oh, bro. It's, it's the best thing seeing, yeah. uh, we live in a really sweet neighborhood, uh, a lot of families and yeah. just seeing moms and dads out with their kids more. Yeah. Um, dude, it's, 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 that is really one of the silver linings of this whole uh, this whole situation that we find ourselves confronted with is again, like, do we want things to go back to the way that they were? Because uh, we are seeing so much beauty come out of this season. Right. And so there are obviously some things that we want to return back to somewhat of a normalcy, yeah. um, especially for the, for the sustainability and, you know, for a thriving country economically. But then there, I think there are also ways in which we're going to see a huge shift in marketplace from remote working to uh, businesses and organizations realizing that commercial real estate and offices aren't necessary to create a productive work culture and that in fact working from home and working remotely might create more of a positive mental health for employees mm. uh, and and a, a higher level of productivity yeah. so I think we're gonna see a lot shift over the next months and years ahead yeah. And you know, there's, if you, like you said, you see what you look for too. Right. And so sure. if you're looking at this and everything's bad and you've got the excuses in there and you're just like, man, everything's bad. I can't do anything. Or you can see the things that, you know, are positive that are going to come out of this and be a part mm -hmm. of it and start to, and start to, you know, it's time to lace them up and get, get, get back on the court. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, absolutely. Um, man, I, I want to thank you so much, uh, for, having this talk uh with me and 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 you know just reassuring some of the things that that i need to hear myself i say them you know 
I talk about it yeah. a lot, but it's also really nice to have somebody else to talk to that's, uh, that, that helps yeah. reassure those things, man. So I want to say thank you. Um, if the Money Talker audience wants to find more out about Cody Jefferson, what do they, where do they go? What do they do? Yeah. So, I mean, very simply, you can go to CodyJefferson.com, but really, I'm a guy who for the past nearly two decades has been devoted to helping people tell better stories, right? We're all telling a story and we're all the product of the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm. And so, and for me, the only way that I know is to hear your story. The only, the only way that we know how to move forward is to be told the story and then to confront that story. So what would be the easiest way is to find me on social media. I'm not hard to find. I'm the guy with all the tattoos. <laughs> and to just shoot me a personal message, just let me know that it was from this podcast, that, that something resonated with you. Let me know what it was. Shoot me a video. Shoot me a voice message. Like, tell me your story. I'd love to hear where you're from, where you're going, what's brought you to this point, and what you found useful. Mm, yeah, I... I uh... Yeah, I, I would definitely highly suggest following Cody. He's got uh, he's got videos that come out all the time. I catch them. Um, he yeah. gets he gets intense. I like it. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, you really feel it. You know, it's not somebody's just uh, window dressing. So, um, listen, man. Thanks again for coming on Money Talkers. I uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kids financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker